Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Well, hello there, and thank you for listening to Passion Harvest, where we aim to inspire you to live a passionate life. I am passionately excited about my guest today, Dr. Yvonne Quezon. She has had her life touched by five, five near-death experiences or NDEs, as well as multiple STEs, spiritually transformative experiences, and she coined the term. Yvonne has had two near-death experiences as a child and three near-death experiences in her adult life. Yvonne became the first Canadian medical doctor to specialise her practice in the counselling and research of patients with diverse peak spiritual experiences. In her book, Touched by the Light, Dr. Yvonne Quezon shares the stories of all five of her NDEs and the conclusions from 40 years of STE research. It is a must read and I will put all the links to purchase it in the show notes. Dr. Yvonne Quezon, welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> wow, I'm so excited you're on the show. I know we've had a bit of confusion getting together, but I'm really, really excited. Well, <laughs> five NDEs, I can't believe it. It's just kind of amazing. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> and you're still here with us. Yes, I am. The good Lord keeps spitting me back. I guess I have more to share and more to do here on earth. I'd love to talk about your research, but first, I guess, if you if you feel inclined, I'd like to hear about your five near-death experiences. Alrighty. Well, most of my life, I never even realized that I had two near-death experiences as a child, because as a child, both of these experiences, um, I had nothing to judge it against. I had no way to know this was anything unusual or out of the ordinary. So I just chalked them up as life experiences. And to tell you the truth, it was only maybe about three years ago that I actually uh, had like the penny drop and the, the neurons connect. I thought, oh my goodness, these childhood experiences, they were also near death experiences. And maybe the fact that I had two in my childhood is what made me susceptible to having so many in my adult life that I had three in my adult life. So um, yeah, so I'll start with telling you my two childhood near death experiences. Thank the you. first one happened when I was five years old. And by the way, my book that you told everybody, I'm just going to hold it up there. Yes, by the way, <laughs> uh, is uh, I share all five of my experiences in there, plus all of the um, uh, other types of spiritually transformative experiences that I've learned that people are having. Um, so, but let me start with my five-year-old uh, near-death experience. Um, I was traveling with my parents in Europe this summer to visit my grandparents who lived in Switzerland. And we were going to visit somebody uh, and we were traveling by train. In Switzerland, people travel by train a lot. They do not in Canada where I grew up. So for me as a little kid, um, being in a train station and traveling by train, this was new and very exciting. So I was sort of looking around and looking at the train station and I saw 
a station hand jump off the platform that we that I had been standing on with my parents, jump onto the train tracks, run across, and then climb up onto the next platform. So as a little five-year-old, I thought, oh, gee, that looks like fun. I'm going to do that too. So I leaned forward to jump onto the tracks and, and uh, clamber over. But just as I was sort of at 45 degrees, all of a sudden, it was like time stood still. And it felt to me like the movie of my life, if you want to look at it that way, froze mm -hmm. at a particular scene, at a particular spot. And all of a sudden, my spirit was out of my body. And I was up, out of my body, and I was feeling completely peaceful, completely calm. And I could see from that vantage point that I was jumping onto the tracks right in front of a rapidly oncoming train. As a little kid, I didn't know better, and I didn't know how quickly and how quietly a train could pull into a station. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm about to be hit by a train. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, uh, a hand came from behind me on the platform, and then the movie of my life started playing again, and whoosh, I was pulled back onto the platform, and then the train whisked into the station right in front of me with a gust of wind, and I was not hit. And of course, my parents scolded me. And uh, so I didn't really talk about what I experienced. Um, I just, it was what I experienced. But I remember very clearly that afterwards, as a young child, I was convinced I could fly. That was how I, as the five-year-old, interpreted the out-of-body experience. And I remember that shortly after this, I started kindergarten in school. And I made a new little friend. And I remember telling my little friend, oh, you know what? I can fly. And this little friend said, oh, no, you can't. And I said, oh, sure I can. I'll prove it to you. So I remember I, I climbed up on the, the, we had like a gate and a fence in front of our house. And I climbed up on that, a little tiny five-year-old. And I stretched out my arms and I jumped off. And I thought I was going to fly down the street and show this friend how I could fly. And I remember to this day that, of course I couldn't fly I just you know fell down to the ground that that uh, my friend went away laughing see I told you you couldn't fly but I was puzzled I was really confused I could not figure out why I had such a clear memory of flying mm -hmm. and that this particular day when I tried to fly again that I wasn't able to so now I realize that out-of-body experience with time standing still, et cetera, was my first near-death experience. And that happened when I was five years old. So it was an out-of-body type of near-death experience. My second childhood near-death experience happened when I was 11. I had just turned 11. I was still a tiny thing. It was, you know, still a couple years before puberty. And um, my parents and I were all, and my family were in a car, and we had a car accident, a very serious car accident, where the car went over a steep embankment and rolled a few times before it came to a stop. And this was before the day of seatbelts. And I was and it was a station wagon and I was thrown from the back seat where I was sitting back into the luggage in the back and somewhere in there I sustained a head injury and I was unconscious with the luggage in the back of the car. And um, I've always remembered and I still remember to this day floating above my body above the accident scene and looking down and I remember I was floating above my father. So I actually wasn't even above my body, which was still in the car. They hadn't found it yet. 
and I was above my father, who's they had taken to the side of the road, and he was covered in blood with from his injuries, and he was saying, "My daughter, my daughter," because he'd looked around and he'd realized they hadn't found me yet, and um, and I don't know. I wonder if because I knew he was calling to me is why my soul was above where my dad was, mm -hmm. but I remember that very vividly, and later my father confirmed that for me that absolutely uh, they'd not found me in the crushed, mangled luggage in the back of the car um so he was calling out my daughter my daughter hoping somebody would go in there and look for me and, and finally they did find me and with the luggage um then i remember then my next memory in that near-death experience was it's like i jumped um i remember being uh in the hospital emergency department and i remember floating above my body as it lay on an examining table in the emergency room and you know, as a little kid, I didn't know what hospitals or emergency rooms looked like, but I felt like I was up by the ceiling and I was looking down and I could see two men huddled over my body. They looked like they were doctors, I just guessed. And I could also see from the top down perspective, one of those big round metallic sort of chrome disc shaped lights like they have in um, hospital yeah. emergency rooms and, and operating rooms. But I was looking at it from a top down perspective. I could see that domed surface from the top looking down. And um, I mean, I'm a doctor now by training, so I know that is what uh, surgical lamps look like. But as an 11 year old, I had no clue. And I was looking at it from this top down perspective as if the ceiling was invisible and I was you know, looking down from above. Yeah. And then the next thing I remember is the moment that I woke up. I regained consciousness about three days later. And I have very, very clear memory of that moment of waking up as well. So that near death experience at the age of 11, um, again, as a child, I didn't know this was anything paranormal. I get, yeah. I figured, you know, maybe this is what everybody experiences <laughs> when they've had a head injury in a car accident. I had no no ruler to compare it to. You know, it was it was my experience. So um, it never dawned on me that this was was something unusual, but it did have a transformative effect on me. I now realize when I look back. Because for the first year following this experience, I was able to see ghosts. Yeah. And I remember ghosts, yeah. yeah. That at night I would see like spirits in my house moving around and I was a frightened to sleep in my own bedroom. And I told my parents that I was seeing ghosts, that I thought our house was haunted, but they, you know, dismissed it and they thought maybe mm -hmm. I was just um in trauma or whatever because of the car accident. But I remember I was so frightened of these ghosts that I could see that I insisted I didn't want to sleep in my own bedroom. I wanted to you know, be in a, a bed crammed into the bedroom with my younger brother and sister. So with the three of us in the same room, I felt safe while I was seeing these spirits at night. Mm -hmm. It was very frightening to me as a child. Um, eventually, I would say in about a year or so, that went away and I stopped being able to see ghosts at night, but spirits at night. So now when I look back as with the eyes of an NDE researcher, mm -hmm. I realized that was an after effect of the near-death experience because many near-death experiences leave people more psychically open afterwards. But again, as a child, I had no idea. My interpretation was the house we had was haunted. And that was my and, and understanding as a child. Potentially it was. And I guess the psychic experience wasn't fostered. So it, 
would you say closed up because you know of what people said or I mean my parents were the same I saw ghosts when I was younger but you know don't be silly and you you know you try and suppress it I'm not I'm not sure why it went away because that was a long time ago mm -hmm. all I can say is that it went it did eventually stop and I was very relieved when it stopped. So maybe I was trying to suppress it. Um, but you know, part of it is that there's no one around you to talk about this, no one around you to mm. give you understanding. As a child, you just go to your parents. And when your parents say, oh, you know, you're just upset, uh, there's no ghosts in this house. So, Surely. you know, I, had, I, I thought I was probably imagining it, but it seemed very, very real to me and it was still very frightening to me. So it was very confusing to a child to have that sort of experience. I have to ask you, I'm going on a tangent here, but what, what did they look like? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I recall, again, this is a long time ago, I was only 11, um, but what I remember was sort of a wispy, wispy figures, you know, that you could see through, but mm -hmm. there was enough of a form that you could tell that it was a being and that, that the head part was more distinct and the body part was more uh, wispy. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's what I was seeing anyway. I think at the that's age very of interesting. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I guess, do you want to move on to your next NDE? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I did not think of these two experiences as paranormal. Yeah. Um, and I went on and had a, a you know, sort of a, a fairly normal uh, teenage years and university years. And I trained as a medical doctor. And then I started having some unusual experiences again when I was in medical school. Mm -hmm. So in my last year of medical school, this is actually not my next NDE, but I want to throw it in. It's an ST, mm -hmm. powerful STE I had while in medical school. So my last year of medical school, um, they were offering a meditation course um, taught, you know, by somebody at the university and they advertised this course that it would help you study better, you know, that you would be more calm when you're studying and you'd be more calm during your exams and you'd get better marks in your exams. So I had all my medical school final exams coming up. So I thought, oh, this is good. I'll learn how to meditate and this will help me remain calm and study better and get better marks on my exams. So I wasn't trying to have like a transcendental experience or anything. Sure. So I'm trying to explain. I was actually taking, starting to meditate because I wanted to do well on my exams. So, but I really liked meditation once I learned it. And, and it really felt to me like a duck being led to water. Like it was a fit. It fit for me. I now think that's from past lives that I've been a meditator for, for many lifetimes. But, mm -hmm. but I was introduced to meditation when I took this course in my last year in medical school. And, um, and a few months after I started meditating regularly, so for 45 minutes to an hour in the morning, 45 minutes to an hour in the evening, I had a powerful experience and where all of a sudden when I was meditating I heard this loud roaring noise like the roar of a waterfalls and I felt this whoosh this rush of energy go up my back and body and then my consciousness lifted right out of my body and I expanded into this vast space like I expanded I was sitting in an auditorium with the group meditating I expanded to be about the size of the auditorium but I was it was all of me was was that big and I transformed into love 
it was as if I'd become this big pink cloud that was emanating love, that was just love, love, love. And um, I remember thinking while I was having this experience, wow, no wonder people love to meditate. This is so awesome. <laughs> because I thought in my naivety that all the experienced meditators were having this experience every time they meditated and that okay. it had taken me this long to get my technique right and i was finally having the it that is supposed to happen <laughs> when you meditate so it was so beautiful and so wonderful um i now realize looking back many years later that what i experienced then was a spiritual energy or what's also called the kundalini awakening at which culminated in a mystical experience. So it was my, my first mystical experience this lifetime. Um, but I thought this was the it that everyone meditating was having. Aww. And then I couldn't figure out with my subsequent meditations why I wasn't having the it happen again. You know, I, I figured I was doing something wrong with my technique and I tried Aww. really hard and I couldn't replicate it. So finally I went to one of my um, my more senior meditators in the group and you know sort of humbly with my tail between my legs asked you know I must be doing something wrong with my meditation technique why am I not having this experience every time I meditate and I remember how this person turned and looked at me and their jaw dropped and they said what that happened to you and I said well yes and that was my first clue that it didn't happen to everybody else yeah. when they were meditating and then he sort of scratched his chin and said, well, Yvonne, the only thing I've really ever heard of that sounds like that is a kundalini awakening. But it's impossible that, it, that it's a kundalini awakening because you're much too young and you're much too inexperienced a meditator and you have to have been like meditating for 40 years in the Himalayas or something yeah. before you could possibly have a kundalini awakening. So I didn't know what it was, but it was something wonderful and extraordinary and unusual um, that happened to me in my last year of medical school. Anyway, because of all my studies and everything, I just sort of put that in the back of my mind, not knowing what to call that. But, you know, something pretty unusual had happened to me mm -hmm. and it had awakened something in me. I was starting to get like experiences with rushes of energy up my spine when I was meditating or when I had spiritual insights. I was starting to hear inner sounds. And I uh, anyway, but I sort of ignored these things and focused on my studies again. I was trying to be a good doctor, you know, trying yeah. to be a very good medical doctor. So then my first adult near-death experience happened at the end of my residency training. So I'd already graduated as a medical doctor, but I was now specializing in as a family physician and I was finishing my residency. And this happened right towards the end of my final year of my residency. I was assigned that particular day to accompany uh, a patient on a medevac flight in an airplane. And I had been assigned that month to a remote region in Northern Ontario, which is where I live. Um, and we were working with native Indian communities. It was still the middle of winter. It was March 27th, 1979. But in Northern Ontario, that is the middle of winter. Um, the medevac plane was a twin propeller airplane. It flew into bad weather. The, they say now from the inquest that the air filters from both of the, the propeller engines probably flew, uh, froze over because of the cold weather. We flew into a blizzard, the blowing snow, everything ice formed. Somehow it made the engine stop one, then another, and the plane crashed. Now, in the 
process of the plane tumbling to the ground when both of the propellers had stopped. My first reaction, because, you know, I absolutely noticed this. First off, it's a small plane. And so you can see both propellers on either side of the plane mm -hmm. um, from my vantage point. And secondly, the noise of the engines. The propeller engines are very, very noisy. So if an engine stops, you know, because you don't hear the noise of the engine anymore. So I was, I looked up and I could see that both propellers had stopped and the plane was plummeting down to the ground with horrible turbulence, so like with the wind and the speed and everything. The pilot was wrestling with the controls, trying to, to guide us to not crash into the trees of the forest and land around us, but to try and get us onto the surface of a frozen lake. Fortunately, he did manage to get us over the surface of a lake and he tried to guide us into a uh, uh, sort of a, a, a guided crash landing on the ice. We skidded all the way across the ice, but then we were going right to open water and the plane came to a stop right at the edge of the open water. And then as soon as the weight of the plane settled, it broke through the ice and sank. And so we all had to quickly get out of the plane. The ice was too thin to support our weight. So I had to swim through the open stretch of water to the closest land, which was quite some distance away, maybe 200 yards black open water with a fast current in winter. I was wearing heavy winter clothes, like a heavy parka and a heavy boots. And when they got wet, they were just like lead weights on me, pulling me down into the water. So my near death experience began actually when the plane was coming down before it had even crashed, which is something that I think is quite remarkable. Mm. that as the plane was going down in this incredible turbulence, my first reaction was intense fear and panic. I remember out of my heart, like the, silently in my heart, my soul just went, oh God, help, I'm going to die. I was in intense fear and panic. And I guess that was close enough to a prayer because spirit immediately responded. And all of a sudden, I felt this force field of peace descending upon me. And it was pushing away all of my fear and all of my panic. And I heard a voice in my mind, an inner voice that I'd never heard before saying, and as, it was, as I heard this voice, it was like the, the peace was just permeating through me. It said, I'm very aware my phone is ringing in the background. <laughs> it's okay. I apologize. The voice said, be still and know that I am God. I am with you now and always. It was a bit like a phone call from the other side. Yeah, it could have been God. <laughs> wow. And with, with these words, I just, I felt, it's like I was permeated with the presence of peace. And so even before the plane crashed, I was in the beginning of my near-death experience. And then after the plane crashed and I had to swim to shore, then my near-death experience deepened. So it was part way in my swimming to shore that all of a sudden I heard a roaring noise again, a bit similar to what I had in the Kundalini awakening, like the rush of wind or the roar of a waterfall. And suddenly, whoosh, my point of perception was no longer in my physical body. I was maybe 20 or 30 feet above my body. But it wasn't that straightforward, you see, because my body was still alive. I was still swimming to shore. So it was really 
sort of like my consciousness was two places at once, but like a split screen TV, that's the best comparison I found. Mm -hmm. Most of my consciousness, the main part of the, the image on the TV was no longer in my body. It was up above my body. But the little image in the corner, a little part of my consciousness was still in that body that was still struggling and pushing to try to swim to shore. So then I rose higher above my body and I rose into this realm that was filled with light. It was filled with light and it was filled with love. The most powerful, beautiful, unconditional love that I have ever experienced in my life. I felt like I was home. For an instant, I saw a little a luminous face sort of in the periphery of the white and then it sort of faded, like fading into a cloud. And then it was just a realm of light and this incredible feeling of overwhelming love. And I didn't hear words anymore, no one spoke to me, but I just knew things. I just somehow knew while I was in this realm of light, I knew that what I was experiencing was the love of the higher power. And it was not at all what I had been taught in my Sunday school growing up. Like I'd been mm -hmm. taught that on the other side, there was like an old man with a long white beard on a throne who's judging you on, yeah. you know, if you've been good or bad. That was not at all what I was experiencing. I was experiencing that the higher power was more like a force field of infinite intelligence and infinite love that's underlying and permeating all of creation, all of the universe, that, that we're, like, we're like droplets in this ocean of love, which is the higher power. So I knew that what I think of as me would live on whether my body in the scenario below in the plane crash scenario was going to live or die and i was feeling such joy and such love that it really didn't matter to me whether i lived or died because i was just i was home i was in such joy i was being completely loved by the source my body through a, a number of miracles and i talk about them in detail in my book yes. um, managed to swim to shore and then through a series of incredible coincidences uh there were some helicopter there was a helicopter in the region normally there isn't who was able to come out and look for us because a helicopter is the only vehicle that it possibly could have come to the the land that i, I had swum to which was an island and um the helicopter pilots rescued their lives in order to save us and they brought us to uh, the local, the closest hospital. I remember watching from above as they put my frozen and I guess unconscious body onto a, a, a stretcher on the hospital driveway. The helicopter had landed on the hospital driveway and nurses came out with gurneys and they put me on one of them and wheeled me into the operating room. And then I remember watching from above as uh, a nurse was trying to take my temperature. And see, I was very frozen. I was hypothermic, which means I was dying from being frozen. And so she was trying to take my temperature with a regular hospital thermometer. And I remember I remember her looking at it and shaking at it and puzzled because she wasn't able to get a temperature reading. And that was because I was colder than the bottom reading on her thermometer. And I was 
feeling my consciousness float further and further away from my body. And I knew that I was dying, but I was fine because I was mm -hmm. feeling such joy and such love and such bliss. And then all of a sudden I heard a voice say, boy, could I use a hot bath? And I was really surprised to observe that that had come out of my own body. Like I had not thought of those words and I was observing, but those are the words that came out of my body. Boy, could I use a hot bath. And then the nurses looked at each other and said, gee, I wonder if that would help them. Maybe we should take them to the Whirlpool bath in the physiotherapy department to warm them up. And in fact, that's exactly what we needed. And, and it was when they put my frozen body in the hot water in the Whirlpool bath in the physio department is where my consciousness finally re-entered my body. And what I experienced then was, whoosh, it's like, I imagine what a genie feels like when it's suddenly being sucked into its tiny bottle. I had been wow. in this great big expansive place up high. And then through the top of my head, I was suddenly sucked into the small confines of my body. And then I was back. And I remember rubbing my frozen fingers against my legs and just saying, I'm back, I'm back, I'm going to live, I'm going to live. <laughs> and, you know, probably the nurses wrote in the chart confused or something. But, but no, I was, just, I was back. That's when I knew that I was meant to live after that experience. Now, okay. oh, I just wanted to ask you when you were talking about the, the higher power or the higher source. So it was an external you know, that was ultimate love and bliss and you were so happy. It was external to your consciousness. It was and it wasn't. It's sort of like being, if you're a child being hugged by your mommy real close. Mm -hmm. It's that, yes, mommy's internal, but you're connected. External, but you're connected. Okay. Like when you're so close, you're connected. So there was also this incredible feeling of connection, of being a part um, uh, part of the family, you know, that, that I'm home, I'm with, I'm with my cosmic mommy. <laughs> that that okay. was the sort of feeling. So, so um, it was like, I was a small part of this vast field of love, but it was so much greater than I. So there was both a separateness and a connectedness. It's very difficult to explain. Yeah, no, you're explaining it beautifully. I just, just wanted to clarify that. And my other question is, did you want to come back once you were in the no, no, I didn't. I really watched it detachedly, like from above. I, I had this sensation, and I describe this in my book too, that it's sort of like if you're watching a movie that you want to see the ending of the movie and you really don't care, you know, if it ends direction A or direction B, you know that the person who made the movies already picked an ending, right? right. You're just curious to see how did they end this particular movie? So that was how I was watching it very detachedly. I didn't know whether I was going to live or I was going to die on the earth plane, but either way, I was totally content because mm -hmm. I was feeling such joy. I was feeling home. Mm -hmm. And so it was only when my consciousness reentered my body went that that I knew, oh, I'm gonna live. Okay, the outcome okay. <laughs> of this particular movie is that wow. I'm gonna survive this. Mm -hmm. Wow, and I guess for people who are listening that don't know, it's where, where you're talking about is a very remote and very, very cold area of Canada. Yes. Indeed, indeed. How cold would the water be? Oh, uh, probably zero. 
Yeah, it was yeah. zero degrees or 32 if you use Fahrenheit or zero centigrade, okay. very close to that. Very yeah, very close. But the wet air temperature and with the wind would be significantly colder than that. Mm -hmm. And wet clothes, so, you wouldn't have long to yeah. live. No, no, we would have died definitely. Now, I do want to share how this experience impacted me, if I may. I would love that. Thank you. Yeah, is that fortunately, I was, uh, because I had very severe frostbite and I had lake water in my lungs that, uh, you know, needed to clear out because I'd been near drowning and hypothermic when I was rescued, that um, I had to take a month off work, which was good because I needed that month just to process wow. the impact of this profound spiritual experience. I mean, back then, I had no idea. I had no word to even describe what had happened to me. I had no clue. But what I felt in my being was it was like I brought some of that love back with me. It was like I was drunk with love for the first few weeks after this experience. I was so filled with love. I would look out of my windows at the squirrels playing in the yard and I would just have waves of love coming out of my heart towards these squirrels. Or I'd look down the street and I'd see children playing down at the schoolyard or something. Mm -hmm. And again, just waves of love coming out of my heart to the, to the children. You know, scenes of nature, the beauty of the leaves against the sky and oh, waves of love would come out of my heart. I remember listening to music was particularly particularly moving to me songs were just the, the meaning in songs anything about love oh my goodness waves of love <laughs> you know, and it was just I was just overflowing with this love it's like a big dollop of this unconditional mm. love came back with me and I was just overflowing with it I was feeling so much love and so much joy and I'd also it changed my spiritual beliefs really significantly. I, I, I can analyze it now, but at the time, it just was. I absolutely knew that there was nothing to fear in death. I absolutely mm -hmm. knew that our spirit, our soul, whatever you want to call it, me, will live on after I die. And I knew that was true for everybody. I also really shifted in my spiritual and religious views because my view of the higher power now was that this is the same one source that's underlying everyone all of creation and there's no little little divisions between you know which culture we were raised in and what sex we were or what church we attended we're all part of the same one uh, ocean of love and light we're all children of the same one source if we want to look at it mm -hmm. that way and um that so I became much more tolerant and open to people with different uh, religious upbringings than my own. You know, that I, I just understood that we're all, it's like climbing a mountain from different angles, right? That you're, you perhaps have a different view from the different sides of the mountain. But once you get to the top, it's the same peak everybody's going to be yeah. reaching. So, so I became much, much, much more tolerant in my spiritual and religious views. And... Um, I also, a couple weeks afterwards, had a dramatic psychic awakening as an after effect, mm -hmm. which as I described earlier, I, it's now been established by near-death researchers that many, many NDE experiencers find themselves more psychically open afterwards. About two, two weeks after 
I had this, what I now know was a near-death experience. Um, back then I had no clue what it was. Um, I was driving to visit a friend one evening and I was stopped at an intersection in my car. And all of a sudden in my mind's eye, I got a clear visual image of my friend's brain covered in pus. And to me, as a medical doctor, it was really clear. I knew it was my friend's brain. I don't know how, but I did. And the symbol to me was very clear for meningitis. And so I remember when I got at my friend's house, I said to her, gee, you know, how are you feeling? And sure enough, she was not feeling well and she had a bad headache. And so I said, you know, well, if things get worse, you know, why don't you go to the hospital? Say a doctor friend of yours just has a hunch you might have meningitis. Anyway, as it turned out, later on that day, she did get worse. She went to the hospital and she was diagnosed with meningitis. And fortunately, she got, you know, the aggressive antibiotic treatment she needed and she survived mm -hmm. fine. But that was the first of many, many uh, psychic experiences that began happening to me after my near-death experience. So here I am now, I finished my residency and I'm now starting to practice medicine. We're just moving forward with time because this was just a few months before I went into my own practice, opened my mm -hmm. own office. Um, I was also working in the emergency department as an emergency doctor there. And um, I was trying to figure out what on earth had happened to me. So I started by talking with my medical colleagues, you know, the doctor friends. And, and you know, everybody knew that I was a very good doctor. I was a, a top of the class sort of person. They knew that I was mentally stable. And so I remember the doctors would listen and, and um, everybody came up with a medical theory that involved it being a hallucination. Right? Oh, okay. Something, yeah. yeah. That, they can that, quantify oh, and... That's right, that it was a hallucination I had because of a low blood sugar was one theory, or it was a hallucination I had because of an electrolyte imbalance was another theory. Another person said, oh, it's a hallucination because of the direct effect of cold on the brain. And it, that made no sense at all because it started as the plane was going down before yeah. I was cold and before we crashed. So, so none of those explanations made any sense to me. Um, there was somebody in, in Toronto, I lived in Toronto at the time, I do now too, uh, who said they knew a bit about near-death experiences. So I, I went and talked with this person and I said, you know, gee, is it possible that what happened to me was a near-death experience? And so this person said to me, well, did you see a tunnel with a light at the end? And I went, um, no. <laughs> and then he said, were you dead? Were you clinically dead at any point? Uh, okay. Mm, no. And then he said, well, that it is not a near-death experience. So I thought, okay, uh, so far I had it's not a hallucination because that, that didn't work for me. And then I heard it's not a near-death experience. Um, and then that funny experience I had in medical school, I was told it was not a kundalini awakening. Right? So I had a whole bunch of things that it was not. So I started wondering, well, what is it? What is a word that I could even call what happened to me? So the, the first explanation I was able to find that made any sense to me was uh, one particular medical colleague of mine, one friend. He was uh, much older and very, very religious. And uh, he said to me, you know what, Yvonne? 
I think you've had a mystical experience. And when he said that, it was like, ding! <laughs> and my heart finally felt this sense of relief. I finally had a word that honored my experience to mm. call what I experienced. So for many years, I called it my mystical experience that happened in my plane crash because <laughs> I didn't know what else to call it. But now many, many years later, uh, I mean, I started researching after this. I started researching uh, mystical experiences. I started researching psychic experiences because mm -hmm. I was starting to have them. I started researching Kundalini awakening because I wondered, hmm, what was that thing that happened to me when I was meditating? And then slowly more and more people also started coming to me in my practice, in my practice as a doctor, and they would start talking to me about their various experiences. And so they were telling me about their mystical experiences, and they were telling me about their experiences when they were close to death, and they were telling me about their psychic experiences and their spiritual energy experiences. So I felt that 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 the universe was sort of pushing me and educating me both by my in my private time reading about all these things but also because patients were now coming to me they heard about me through the grapevine so finally by about 1990 so this was now 11 12 years after my near-death experience in the plane crash i became convinced that it was indeed a near-death experience and that the, the definition of near-death experiences had to be expanded to include people who are facing death. That, that near-death experiences, you don't have to be clinically dead to have a near-death experience. And that not everybody sees a tunnel. <laughs> and so in 1990, I had the great fortune of meeting Dr. Kenneth Ring at a conference. He was um, one of the co-founders of the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm now a board member of that particular organization, but he's one of the founders. So he was one of the, the, the first people to research near-death experiences. So here I was as a young doctor, my knees shaking. I went up to him and said, I think you don't have to be clinically dead to have a near-death experience because my experience started when I was very alive and well when my plane was crashing. I told him the whole story and he just laughed and he said to me, yes, Savon, I've come to the same conclusion with my research that there are other people, not just you, who are having near-death experiences when they're facing death, when they, they think they're about to die, but then mine continued when I was uh, also facing death physically, meaning my body was nearly frozen and I was unconscious. So I, I had the spectrum from facing to health crisis. And so then I knew indeed it was a near-death experience and then I also met people in my travels and in my research that I now had the confirmation that what happened to me in medical school was indeed a Kundalini awakening. So it took till 1990 for me to get some clarity on the words for these experiences. So I wanna mention here, um, I've not yet had my next near-death experience which came later in 1995, but in 1990, I had a very strong, what I call calling experience where when I was in uh, Monterey, California. And uh, in this experience, um, I'll just describe it briefly now, I just felt really clearly called by spirit. 
that it was time for me to come out of the closet because basically I've been in the closet all these years. I was traveling, I was teaching at the university and I had a great position as a medical doctor. And you know, what I discussed with my private, with my patients in the closed doors is private. Nobody knows, right? Um, but publicly, I was just a traditional medical doctor. I knew it was time for me to come out of the closet and to start advocating for people who are having diverse types of spiritual experiences. Because I had heard so many horror stories from my patients of being told by other people that they were crazy, that they were hallucinating, even being put in the psychiatric ward, electroshock therapy, some of them, by their churches being told it was work of the devil. And I felt, no, this was wrong. I know people today, healthy people, such as myself, are having powerful, diverse types of peak spiritual experiences. And I need to start speaking out as a doctor that these are real and that they're not a sign of mental illness. So I started speaking out about that back in 1990. And that's when I specialized my medical practice into the counseling and research of people having diverse spiritually transformative experiences. So I'm just gonna interject here. I coined this term spiritually transformative experiences back in the 90s. And I talk about them in my new book that I've told everybody about. Touched, touched by, by the light. Got touched by the light. <laughs> there it is. Um, because what I found when I, I, I was going to professional conferences was that there would be one group over here that would be researching only near-death experiences. Then there'd be another group over there that would be researching only psychic phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Then there'd be another group over here that was researching only Kundalini awakening. And then yet another group over here that would be researching only mystical experiences. But then I found that there seemed to be a connection between all of these experiences. And that once people had had a powerful awakening of some sort, and in my case, was it the Kundalini? Was it the near-death experience? A combination of both. But then I started having all of them, you know, mystical experiences, near-death experiences, psychic phenomena, <laughs> Kundalini. It's like all of these things were happening to me. So they must be connected in some way. They're not like independent things. And that's why I coined the term spiritually transformative experiences. I love that term. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, I wrote my first book about um, uh, STEs is the short form for spiritually transformative experiences back in 94. And in 1995, when I was coming back from um, actually uh, doing a speaking engagement where I was talking about my research, my NDE and my book, um, I was involved in another near miss plane incident. And that was when I had my next near-death experience. And this one was very different from the one I had previously. This time I was flying in a commercial plane, a large Air Canada jet. And we were coming in for a landing. I'm gonna make the story short just because of time. But again, all of the yeah. details are in my book. Uh, we were coming in for a landing in Toronto International Airport. And we, there was a really, really bad ice storm happening. And there was really strong winds. And I could see that a lot of ice had formed on the surface of the, the wings of the plane. And um, we were being buffeted with turbulence. It was really rough. 
And we were coming down, we were descending, descending, descending to land at the airport. And finally, I could see the lights of the runway when we were quite low because the weather was so bad, you couldn't see. The visibility was terrible. I thought with relief, oh good, we're finally going to land because the turbulence was so severe. Then all of a sudden, the pilot flipped the flaps of the airplane and started racing the engines. He was obviously trying to abort the landing just before landing. And he was not able to do it. The engines were screaming. The plane was shaking like crazy. And everybody in the plane started crying out and screaming. Some people were vomiting. Oh, we're going to die. We're going to crash. Um, later on, we found out the pilot told us that he had seen coyotes on the runway. So we had to abort the landing in the last minute to avoid us hitting the coyotes and, and really having a crash. But because he had reduced his airspeed so much in preparation for landing, and because the plane was heavy, because of all the ice that had formed on it, because of the ice storm, that he was having a lot of difficulty getting the plane to start rising. And it really looked like we were going to crash. And I remember as I sat there in my seat, just like a flash, it came to me. And I thought, oh, I get it. I was meant to survive that other plane crash in 1979 so that I would write my book and do my research. But I'm going to die in this plane crash today. Mm. And so I... I had learned by all my spiritual studies by that point that if you're going to die, the best way to die is consciously. So I went into meditation. I prayed for my son, which was my one attachment on the earthly plane. I asked the divine to look after my son. And then I went deep into meditation to consciously die. And my near-death experience began immediately. I suddenly found myself out of body and I was traveling upwards, upwards, upwards through this dark expanse, I guess what people call the tunnel. So this time I did see a tunnel. Okay. <laughs> and as I'm going upward, upward, the difference being that while this force that was pulling me upwards was pulling me upwards, I was also pushing myself upwards. It's like swimming with the current mm -hmm. because this time I wanted to go up. I wanted to go up to that light. I wanted to get back to that realm of light where I had been in my near-death experience many years earlier. And all of a sudden, as I'm moving upwards, 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 I had a life review. And this was the only near-death experience in my life of the five of them where I had a life review. And what my life review experience was like, it was like I was jumping through time. It was like, boop, I would suddenly, as if I had traveled in time and I was back in a point of my life in the past, like I was there having that experience at this very moment, like I'd try and travel. Your current and life, life, sorry, just the, the current the, life, the, the body, yeah, the, your life. current life, not a past yeah, life. As, or a, okay. This life is Yvonne Case. Okay. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that, that, and, and the first place that I jumped to in this time jump uh, life review was actually my near death experience that I had in 1979 that suddenly I found myself there in the light, looking down, feeling the love, but it was very clear it was not happening to me now. It was very clear this was my experience from 1979 with my body swimming to shore. Then after a few moments or a minute or two, I don't know really how long, in this uh, 
back in 1979, I jumped again. Okay, I jumped through time and I found myself in another spot in my life as Yvonne Kaysan. That now it was um, around uh, 1990, it was 1990, and it was the powerful calling experience that I had. I told you that I had this strong calling experience. Mm -hmm. it, it itself was a powerful mystical experience, but I, um, uh, um, I didn't tell you the story just because of time today, but I was back there and just feeling it in all of its fullness. It was, it was literally like I have traveled in time and I was there having the fullness, the peak of this incredible calling mystical experience, um, feeling everything, every sensation that I had while at that time. And then whoop, suddenly I jumped through time again and I found myself about 1994. So this NDE happened in 95, 1994, so about a year earlier. And I had had another very, very um, important mystical experience while I was meditating one day. I was at a very distraught that particular day. And, um, and it was like spirit comforted me and I had uh, just this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful mystical vision. And so I, I was there again, having the experience, like I traveled through time and then boop, I jumped out of the life review and then suddenly I'm in the tunnel again, moving upwards, 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 upwards. And this now that my surroundings in the tunnel um, had changed in color, that they now had sort of a deep royal blue tone. And then as I'm moving upwards towards the light, all of a sudden my path was stopped and a being of light appeared in front of me, blocking my trail, blocking my path so I couldn't go up any further. And this being of light looked most extraordinary. It was also sort of a luminescent blue, royal blue, the same color as the surroundings, this luminescent royal blue. And the figure seemed to be half male and half female. So female on the left, male on the right. And it was also standing in a very unusual posture. It had like it's, it had four arms and its arms were held like in these, you know, very distinct postures. And one leg was held up as if in a dancing position. The, Afterwards, the closest I've seen to an image that looks like that is probably the dancing Shiva, which from uh, the yogic tradition is shown with four arms. But the figure that I saw was half male and half female, and it was blue. And I didn't know what this was. I'd never seen anything like this before. My feeling when I saw this being of light was that it was maybe an angel or a messenger or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it mentally uh, or telepathically communicated to me, it is not your time. And boom, just like that, I'm back in the airplane. And uh, the plane was still, you know, turbulent and the pilot was still screaming the engines trying to get it to, to take off. And when I was first back in my body, I guess my third eye was wide open because I could see like a force field of light, like hands of light surrounding the plane. So I knew that the plane was going to be safe. Yeah. And eventually the pilot did manage to pull the, the plane up and then he went up and circled around the airport, told us about the coyotes on the runway and ultimately safely landed us on the ground. Now the after effects of this near-death experience 
were absolutely profound, profound. Um, when I first, when the plane first landed, I felt like I had no skin. That's the best way I can describe it. It was as if the boundary that separated me from the rest of the universe wasn't there. It was like my skin had disappeared. Um, it's very, very difficult to describe. When I got home, I had a very, very deep sleep that night. When I woke up the next morning, I found myself in a state of communion. It felt like where the top of my head used to be, I was completely open mm -hmm. and I was connected to that vast, vast ocean of loving consciousness. I was feeling, living, experiencing my oneness with the source 24 seven while awake, while going to work, while driving my car, you know, while cooking meals. There's a saying in yoga, uh, before enlightenment, chopping wood and hauling water. Before enlightenment, I mean, after enlightenment, yeah. chopping wood and hauling water. So before and after it's the same, chopping wood and hauling water, <laughs> which was the same, exactly the true, truth. I had no need to tell anybody about this. I was home. It was true. What's been written about in all of the, the mystical literature is true. It is possible to be in a state of ongoing communion. And it was, it was wonderful. It was beautiful. My intuition while in that state was just unbelievable. All information I needed, even before I needed, I just knew it. I would just know. The intuition was phenomenal. When I would see patients in my office, they would walk in the room. And before they even spoke to me, I would already know what the issues are that they were working, you know, struggling with and how I could best help them. It, it was phenomenal. It was living in a complete state of grace. But, you know, I just want to point out, it's not an inflating or grandiose experience. In fact, the experience was very humbling because the awareness I had while in this state of union was that every single living being is just as directly connected as I knew myself to be. It's like we're all a million, leg, a million legs on a, on a millipede, right? We're all connected exactly the same. The only difference was the veil that had been veiling my consciousness from, from experiencing that union, that connectedness had been removed that other people still had a veil, so they didn't know they were so directly connected and so directly loved. The veil had been removed so that I was living that experience of communion. And that state lasted for approximately two months. And wow. I found as time passed on, it was getting more, more and more difficult gradually for me to um, maintain that state and when my consciousness would start to contract and then I would have to meditate. I would have to meditate and focus my attention here on this third eye region. And if I focused there and entered the stillness and 
I would open up into that state of communion again. So as time went on, it started getting slowly more and more difficult for me to re-enter and to stay in that state of communion. And then finally, at the end of two months, I lost my ability to get into that state of union. And I have been striving to get back into that state of union ever since. Okay. Wow, I'm just digesting all that incredible information. Yeah. It was, it put me on a completely new stage um, as a human being because after that, my goal in life became much more inner and much less outer, right? That I was very busy in the outer world, you know, serving people and serving on boards and speaking at conferences. But after that experience, I knew that true happiness comes on the inside. And I knew where it was. It was in that state of communion. I knew it was possible. And I thought if I had it once, hopefully, God willing, I'll be blessed to have that experience again. It's like getting a taste of the carrot and now I have to make an effort to try and get a taste of that carrot again. So um, yeah, that's what I've been striving for ever since. Yeah, and um, so back, I mean, back in the real world, how did you, how did, how, how did you focus and adjust and live in the real world after all these incredible experiences, particularly the last one that you were talking about? Well, my last near-death experience happened in 2003. Actually, I found that, that each NDE has like a, a progressive humbling effect because you realize, or I did anyway, I realized my smallness compared to the, the infinite power behind the universe. And just like, really, we're just like grains of sand on the beach, right? That compared to the vastness and the majesty and the infinite intelligence behind the universe, we're just tiny little dots. Yet at the same time, we are each so exquisitely loved. So it, 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 it expands the heart, right? So, uh, having these near-death experiences has made me um, feel much more strongly about us being a family, a spiritual family, us being everyone, all beings, all, all sentient beings, even the plants and the animals. I mean, we're all part, we're all connected. And, um, and, but we each have our small little part to play, but, but having these near-death experiences, it, it gives me pause that you know when people get all caught up in this drama or that trauma or he said this and she said that or i want to do this but they want to do that the people can get so wrapped up in all of this i'll just call it drama yes. that stuff when i stuff think, yeah yeah that, that when i think about my near-death experiences and the perspective on being on the other side it just makes all of that look really petty and really small and that really what's important is the love we have for one another, you know, and the love we give and the love we share, you know, like the Beatles say, all you need is love, <laughs> but that it keeps bringing you back to that and keeps reminding me of that. So anyway, I, I look at it, the good Lord wanted me to know that my medical specialty was to be near death experiences and other STEs. So the good Lord keeps giving them to me. So oh, no. I had, 
I had yet another one in 2003, another powerful near-death experience. So um, just because of time, I will, I will tell the story rather briefly. But I had a slip and fall accident on November the 8th, 2003. So the anniversary is coming up. Um, I slipped on black ice. I fell back and hit my head on rock. I, and I suffered a brain hemorrhage and a traumatic brain injury, and I instantly died. And what happened is immediately I felt my consciousness whisked out of my body by a force greater than myself. And I found myself rushing, rushing upward again through this dark expanse of space. Um, this time I did not have a life review, but I was going through this darkness that some people call the tunnel. To me, it was more like a dark expanse of space, moving upwards very rapidly to the realm of light. And suddenly there I am in the realm of light, and I'm being welcomed into the realm of light by two beings of light, two saints from my spiritual tradition who I immediately recognized, Yogananda and Babaji. And they were exuding love and joy and welcome. And they telepathically communicated to me that I had died, that my work in the body of Dr. Yvonne Quezon was done. And the feeling was of such joy and such celebration. It was like a graduation party was being held in my honor in the light. You know, I had graduated from this grade in school and now I was having the graduation party in the light. It was just joy, celebration. There was no um, looking back at my errors, there was, there was a sense that of just complete understanding that, oh gosh, everybody makes mistakes. You know, you don't even have to think about that. There was just so much acceptance and so much love, um, totally unconditional. And then I went into a place that I call pure thought that, that it, it seemed even past the light that, that, it was a realm of pure thought where uh, vast amounts of information could be communicated to my consciousness all at once in, I would call it like a revelation. And, and I just knew, remembered, understood, could see my many, many past lives. And I could see how they all fit together like a jigsaw puzzle where when you finally put the pieces together, the picture with all the pieces together fit perfectly. And I had like a, an aha moment that, ah, aha, you know, my life that I had just had, which I thought was sort of odd with all of these powerful STEs and NDEs, it now made sense in the context of my many past lives. And so it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense why things unfolded the way they did. And I, time seems to be different over there. And it was sort of like past, present, and future all coexisted or could be seen at the same time. And it was also like the passage of time was not the way it is here. So I call it timeless time. Like mm -hmm. there's just a sense that time is not flowing the same as it passes down here. So after some period of timeless time, which I have no idea how long it was, suddenly uh, the beings of light, Yogananda and Babaji, reappeared to me and they mentally told me that I may now choose whether to, re, uh, to go back to the maimed body of Dr. Iman Kaysan to further serve the divine in that injured form or to reincarnate in the body of the baby. And um, it seemed like it was my heart that responded rather than my head, that in this realm where I was in such joy, such ecstasy, 
it literally felt like the words came out of my heart and my heart spoke, please guide me. I want to do God's will. Mm -hmm. What is the higher choice? And they, they, I would compare this to when a person is madly, madly in love, that you're so much in love that you're just willing to do anything for the person that you love. Sure, stab me with a pin. I don't care. <laughs> but, but that was, I was just feeling so much love, so much love that it was like, oh, I'll do anything. You just tell me, tell me what's the better choice. I'll do anything. And it, it came out of my heart, not out of my intellect. Mm -hmm. And so I was told mentally, it'll be more difficult, but to return to the maimed body. And then my heart instantly responded, I accept. And then faster than the speed of thought, between the thought I and the thought accept, it was when I woke up in my, my, my frozen body down on the ground. And it was with a, <gasps> a gasp of air like that. So it was I <gasps> accept that it was between oh. the thoughts, that how fast it was. And then for the first instant, when my, I was waking up in my previously dead body, I could see both realms. I could see the physical world around me and I could see the realm of light with, with the two saints standing there. It's like they had ushered me back into my body. But then they slowly, and the white light realm started fading out of view, sort of like the split screen TV again, but the second image is getting smaller, 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 until it finally became just a dot in my consciousness. And then I was fully back in my body. So that was my 2003 near-death experience. And what were your, what, I mean, what sort of, ex, what, what, how were you transformed after that last experience? Well, this one was different um, because I was seriously injured. Mm. I had a serious traumatic brain injury and um, the brain hemorrhage and lacerations, contusions in my frontal lobes of my brain uh, disabled me completely from practicing medicine. Um, I went for neuro rehab for seven years because I so much loved my previous career, but I had to accept after about three years that um, that was all part of the past and that for whatever reason in the divine plan that I was now back, but I was back in a disabled body. And my near-death experience was like a life rope for me in the storm of trials of what life was like as a newly disabled person. You know, there were many, many, many struggles, physically, financially, psychologically, but that, that near-death experience, the certainty that I was loved the certainty that this was not any sort of punishment or bad karma, like some people cruelly said to me, like, no, no, I knew God's plan is loving. I knew I didn't understand it, but I didn't need to understand it. It's like, it's presumptuous to think that, that I'm even capable of understanding God's plan, but I knew that 
God's plan is loving and is good for everybody. And that there was some reason, some wisdom in why I'm, dis I'm disabled now. And I accepted it. And I accepted it. And I think that this prevented me from getting into depression or despair after my head injury. I mean, sure, I had rough moments where I'd go like, why me? Why did this have to happen? But then I would pull through as I would think about my near-death experience that, that this is all God's plan. And it's somehow it's all going to work out perfect in the end. I maybe don't see it now. Well, I got used to the fact that that um, I needed to adjust to being a disabled person, and um, I won't bother going into my challenges. I write, I plan to write a future book about all the challenges I had in my healing from traumatic brain injury. It's a whole book all on its own. Okay. But I I just accepted that that now the way that I would be able to serve humanity and share my love is through my prayer and meditation rather than by actually serving in the world. I couldn't write books anymore. I couldn't publicly speak anymore. I couldn't work as a doctor anymore. I couldn't even volunteer in my son's school anymore or at my church. So, but I could focus on my prayer and meditation. So I did. I focused very intently on my prayer and meditation and um, chose to look at my cup half full rather than half empty. You know, that, uh, well, now I don't have to go to work anymore. Well, I'm unable to go to work, but we could look at it. I don't have to go to work anymore. So that gives me more time to do my prayer, my meditation, my spiritual practice, and um, uh, deal with my health issues, which also took a lot of time. Then, much to my surprise, on February 24th of 2016, so that was three years ago, while I was deeply meditating at the uh, SRF meditation retreat in Encinitas, California, I had a spontaneous brain healing experience that while I was meditating, I suddenly inwardly perceived this, like it was like an inner volcano, an inner fountain, an inner eruption of light in the center of my brain, liquid light. And it was like flooding the center of my brain. And at the same time as this light was flooding the center of my brain, I had the feeling of waking up. It was as if this section of my brain that had been asleep for 12 years since my head injury suddenly woke up. And at the same time as this happened, suddenly all of these ideas for my books that I was to write were just flooding, 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 flooding through my consciousness. It's like my brain had been locked in because my intellect was never impaired. It was other issues that I was having from the brain injury. And it's like, I feel like I was pregnant for 12 years and now the babies want to come out. The books want to come out. The books want to come out. And this book touched by the light to show it the last time now, uh, was the first book I wrote after my brain healing. So, um, so that was my most recent life transforming STE was this, I consider it the grace of God, um, a testimonial to the power of meditation to heal the brain um, that I was healed. And now I'm writing, public speaking again, and doing volunteer work, you know, serving on the board mm -hmm. of IANS. 
Mm -hmm. Wow, that was so beautiful. I mean, what an incredible life and what an incredible message you're sharing with the world. For anyone that's watching, you're, you radiate light. You've got the biggest smile <laughs> and you have to be the most positive person I've ever met. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, you know, that, that healing experience has shown me that you just never know what's around the next corner and miracles do happen. And my message, you know, that I, I, I tell people and I want to share with you and your listeners is that never give up hope, never give up hope. You know, that, that there's always hope for a miracle. Miracles do happen. I mean, modern medical science says this is impossible that 12 years after my brain injury mm. that I would suddenly be healed. But, I, I sit here before you today, and to me, it was the grace of God. I think Spirit wanted me to write books and share what I've learned. So I'm delighted, Louisa, to be on your, your show to be able to share what I learned with you and with your listeners. Dr. Yvonne Kaysen, it's been an absolute, absolute pleasure. Um, thank you so much. I can't wait for all our listeners to read your book. All the links will be in the show notes. and. I look forward to all the other books that are coming and all the speaking and wonderful events that you'll be doing, I'm sure. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.